What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the Dario Coccarelli podcast. I'm here again with Kai uh, from the previous podcast, and today we're going to talk about the things that entrepreneurs do wrong. <laughs> so a uh, prime example of this would be this podcast <laughs> in itself, because uh, Dario has done no preparation whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and actually, I've just spent the last kind of 20 minutes or so uh, doing some preparation for it. So um, I think I'd kind of want to... <laughs> you Sorry, got mate. me so bad there, straight away. <laughs> so... Um, I, I kind of want to jump in by not starting with entrepreneurs, but starting with big brands, because there are some really, really good examples of massive brands just have fucking up royally. And I found when I was doing the research into this, I found some stuff that even I didn't know. So, for example, if you look at some, some of the brands like uh, Yahoo and MySpace, both of which are tiny now in comparison to what they were. I mean, Yahoo had a massive, massive market share of search and you know, MySpace was the, the leading social media website for a long time, both of which on different opportunities had the opportunity to buy Facebook for wow. nothing. So imagine my, how much they regret that right now. MySpace had the opportunity to buy Facebook for $75 million. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it goes back to the, the that, that story about the guy in Facebook where he was offered some shares to paint in the office building and then turn it down. Turn it down. Imagine how rich he would be now. Yeah. So I've got a kind of a list of brands that have crashed, the the kind of big ones. Some of them are still around to a degree, but nowhere near as much of the market share as they used to have. So I'll quickly run through the list and then we can see if we can pick out the thing that they've all got in common. So Blockbuster, Polaroid, Kodak, BlackBerry, Nokia, Toys R Us, uh, MySpace and Atari. So all of these were absolutely huge brands in their own right. Can you spot the kind of common trend here? I would say from the top of my head, straight off the bat, I would say failure to innovate. 100%. Every single one of them screams to me a, a, a concept, a technology, a business model that didn't change as the times came, you know, how's, as, as uh, technology evolved. Yeah. They stuck in the, in the oldest. And I think it was something about Kodak. Um, so yeah, the, the Kodak, camera manufa- they were a camera manufacturer, but also film manufacturer, 35 millimeter film from back in the day when people shoot analog. Um, and they were huge the, 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 for a while. The the leading um, photographic equipment and um, camera manufacturer in the world. Yeah. Um, and now they're they're tiny. They're just an absolute shadow of their former selves. And it's because they were either lacking to innovate or just absolutely in denial about the fact that film was kind of over and that everyone was moving into digital. How do, how does a company like that 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 scale that size fail not have the doesn't how do they not have the employees or the team behind them to be in, constantly in, innovating how do they do that I, I honestly don't know it's it's a strange one I'd love to get you know one of the old employees of of someone like that to to come in and and have a chat with us about what the companies did wrong um, but I think it, it's probably just not taking the time and effort to. Um, innovate and invest in innovating whilst new things were happening so i mean like look at blackberry the the director or the owner of of blackberry said that people will always want to have buttons on their phones that was a direct quote from him he said that the apple uh, iphone would never take off because people always want physical buttons on their phone it doesn't it doesn't compute in my brain right now that that thought no. It's just crazy how much times are changing such a small amount of time because I personally can remember having a BlackBerry at school. Oh, everyone had one. Yeah, Literally yeah. like 
10 years ago, not very, probably 10, 12 years ago. And they were all the hype. You know, you had your BBM and everyone was on that. Yep. That was your, your WhatsApp of today. And that just shows how much can change in such a small amount of time for a business. I mean, 10 to 12 years, realistically, in a business is not that long. Not, not a business it. of that scale. Yeah. When you look at, uh, you know, some of the larger manufacturers, Ford as a company have been around for over 100 years now. So in the, in the lifespan of that, you know, 10 years is, is not a lot. And I think even in the last 10 years alone, everything's evolved so quickly that the companies that are failing to sort of keep with the times are just being left behind. So on a level of uh, the big businesses, uh, you, you say that the Kodaks and you know, they've, they've gone through the, the issues that they are and they're, they're very small and self, but have you seen any of the businesses to be starting to reinvent themselves on that part? Because I know Kodak are starting to do a couple of different things, like going back into that kind of vintage, um, kind of like... It's such a small niche, though. Like, even, I mean, they're, they're, it's kind of a new thing with the hipsters now, isn't it? To try and shoot in 35mm and, and Polaroid and stuff yeah. like that. But again, it's such a small target market um, where they could have done so much better just going down the digital route with everyone else. Um, you put me on a spot there, and I'm trying to think Do you think, think they can ever recover from this? Oh, I mean, potentially. I mean, yeah. Like Nokia and BlackBerry and people like that, I think could recover, but it would require a huge, huge amount of investment. And it's whether anyone's willing to put up the dollar to do it. Um, I don't know whether anyone would take that sort of risk, especially when the market is so dominated by people like Apple and Samsung, um, that it would be, that they get the return on investment for it. It'd be such a big project. Um, I'm now just trying to think of companies that have completely reinvented themselves since they start, and I'm failing to do so. Being part I can't. I'm um, struggling to think right now of any um, any company like that. Oh no, there'll be there'll be loads. There'll be absolute. I mean, okay, I'll give you one that I've I've worked with personally. So Mazda, uh, the car manufacturer, in the and Kia as well, for, but for different reasons. I'll come to that in a second. So uh, Mazda, the car manufacturer, in the last, I'd say probably three years have massively reinvented themselves. So I've worked in the automotive industry for a few years from a marketing perspective. Uh, I used to head up the marketing for um, a large uh, retail network that had, I think, 13 dealerships uh, across East Midlands in the UK um, and worked very closely with Ford, Nissan, Mazda, Kia, and a few other brands. So the big challenge for Mazda at the moment is the fact that they are reinventing themselves and they're going from someone that kind of sat around, you know, Ford, Hyundai, the kind of middle to lower end of the market for, for cars. And they're trying to place themselves now with the likes of Audi and Mercedes and BMW. And at the moment, if you're in the market for kind of, this is the car sales head coming on now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in the market for a um, sort of middle of the range car, they're currently, the quality of these, the, the, these Mazdas that are new are equal to that of Mercedes and BMW. I've been in the interior of the, the new Mazda 3, the new Mazda um, 6.5 and the CX-3, arguably nicer than the uh, interiors of most new BMWs. And they're still at the price point. <laughs> that is a big, bold statement. I wish you could see my face while I'm working. <laughs> that, that is a huge statement, Carl. I, I can take you into a Mazda dealership and you won't believe how good they are. And they're still the same price as middle-of-the-road cars. And they're, they're slowly trying to reinvent themselves to be more like Mercedes and BMW. But it does it have that German engineering style, that 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 efficiency that they they yes. come with with the BMW? Yeah, I, I, I just to put it in perspective. I'm interested for, to see this. Yeah, to put it in context for for the listeners, I'm a massive petrol head, uh, having owned uh, a number of BMW M cars, and the interior on the Mazda three was nicer than the interior on my M3. Well, I have to say, right, <laughs> I've owned BMW, and 
BMW do have a bit of a lackluster interior. Mm. The quality isn't to be dismissed. You know, the quality is very good. But the actual aesthetic is very, it's very, how to say, purist. Yes. Whereas the Mercedes is, is getting a bit more technological now. I have to say, I think the Mercedes are doing some of the best interiors uh, around. Oh, God, the yeah. Moment. The Mercedes interiors are incredible. For me personally, I've never really been a massive fan of Mercedes, but they've really kind of turned me around recently. So I guess that for me has has definitely changed my opinion in terms of Mercedes, the interiors. But going back onto the Mazda thing, I think. I'd be interested to see that, you know, if it if it could be a possibility that they're they're getting up there. I don't know if the brand is gonna. Is, you think about German cars, you think about the branding. Can Mazda really achieve that level? I think it's one of those things that it's going to take a number of years to do. They're only in the first one and a half years of trying to do it now. And in terms of their branding, if you look at their website even now, it's it's much more akin to say the Mercedes website than the Ford website. They're they're pushing all of the marketing much down the more prestigious route. And the I mean, old cars are just dreadful. If you look at like the old Mazda 3 from six, seven years ago, it just looks horrible. And then they had, you know, the RX-8 that would fall apart every 10,000 miles. Mm. Um, and so as a brand, they have 100% reinvented themselves. It's just waiting for the world to catch on. Okay, fair point. I, uh, I think that's a great point that you made there, to be honest. So moving on to that part that you were speaking about earlier about the entrepreneurs and the businesses that went wrong. Yep. In your mind, which is the worst case scenario? What is the worst Whoa. the worst business model that has gone completely downhill in such amount of small amount of time? I, I think I've got two. My my big two are Blockbuster. Okay. And Toys R Us. Toys R Us is such a shame about Toys R Us. I know. I spent many most of my childhood uh in, in Toys R Us. And in fact, my most recent memory of Toys R Us is probably my best one where um i when i was living with family a few years ago um my little brother kept shooting me with nerf guns and all his little mates were shooting me with nerf guns and then i just had that realization that wait a minute i'm an adult and i've got money so i just drove to, <laughs> i just drove to toys r us and bought all of the biggest nerf guns <laughs> it's so funny so it's, it's a massive thing so I'll, I'll cover the first a blockbuster again it's a failure to innovate they always thought that having a physical store location would be the best way of 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 um giving their service basically is is to to ha- go go through essentially high street retail for what then became an online um service so you got you know Netflix and Amazon Prime and people like that and Blockbuster just didn't uh, didn't change with the time at all i mean at the time when they were the biggest um they were huge they had you know a massive percentage of market share when netflix first started i mean they're the opportunity to buy netflix and didn't i mean we've seen that moral of the story quite a lot here where a lot of these companies that failed had the opportunity to buy the companies that we are now that, that we see now and i think it's it's possibly a case of a lot of these companies were huge at the time when all these startups were around the startups started to gain traction then went to these big companies and said you want to buy us these big companies, all the ones that failed, went. Now nah, we were right, and then they <laughs> they were then surpassed by by the likes of you know Facebook and and um, blob, um, Netflix and people like that. So so Blockbuster is one that just failed to innovate, failed to to go the online world. If they thing is, if they had, if they had decided to build a website and offer a similar service to like Netflix, they would have had market share now. 
hundred percent they would have had people market share. seem to enjoy that they seem to enjoy that experience of going down to the store yeah and they and they enjoyed having to pick something I can remember I can spend hours in the head and you know you spend half an hour and they're just trying to choose something that you'd like to see and then you know you get the popcorn you get your, yep. your snacks and your drinks and it was quite a nice experience sometimes I think I still prefer that now I mean even now I will quite regularly when I you know go food shopping Morrison's just take a quick photo of the um DVD selection so that I can go and have a yeah. quick look through and see what I want to watch out of it um and the same with having like a dvd collection i've got a dvd collection at home i can't remember the last time that i actually took one out of the box and in no, fact yeah. i don't i don't actually have anything that i can put it into um but it's a really nice way of being able to see something physically and go actually i quite fancy watching that and then rather than actually take the, the dvd out of the case and plug it in something i'll go and find it on netflix or amazon um but they they just completely failed to innovate and then toys r us is a, a kind of a different one and that was with the failure of the high street and everyone starting to buy online through Amazon and, and other stores like that. And Toys R Us just completely failed to invest into things like um, search engine optimization and, and pay-per-click. And, you know, they, they, they didn't advertise online in the same way that their competitors were. Did they actually have an online site? Barely. Barely. Because it doesn't spring to mind an online no, Toys no, R Us people, site. No. And that's, that's where they failed. So I guess really that, that they they were the two worst ones. And if you were at the helm of Blockbuster right now, <laughs> now nah. uh, well maybe not just quite at home now. twiddling my thumbs haven't been made bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not quite now, but maybe a few years ago when there yeah. were, there was still a possibility of revival. How would you have how would you have turned that around? Oh, you, you would have had to have been brutal. You would have had to bin off all of your physical locations and reinvest all of the money that you were spending on uh, high street retail rental. Um, and all the, you know, the business rates and everything you'd be paying that hundred percent in, uh, in, into online, um, try and broker a deal with Netflix or Amazon to, you know, become an affiliate part partner or something like that. But that's what I mean. How could they have actually done that? How, yeah. how would they have done an online version of Blockbuster? It would have been without a, having physical locations because it would have, it would have had to been the exact same business model as Netflix. Um, you'd just have to replicate that, but do it in a way that was more innovative or different. To be fair, at the moment, you, you're getting all the different um, online uh, service providers for video, and they all have the exact same model. They all have the exact same websites, um, and it's just the selection that's different on all of them, which is really frustrating. And I think this is also going to lead to uh, a rise in people torrenting stuff because they can't be bothered to search through all of the different websites. Oh, I find that now. Yeah, yeah. I it's really weird. It. It's like, oh, hello there, LimeWire. <laughs> the most annoying thing is, is is getting onto Netflix and then one minute later, uh, so you, you find something like you want to see and then you know it's on there and you go back to see it uh, maybe later on down the line and yep. it's gone. gone. And yeah. there's no notice or anything like uh, that. There needs to be an amalgamation somewhere. I think the thing that hacks me off the most is that when you search for something on Google, you know, we'll watch a film in full and it will come up with uh, Amazon or Netflix or whatever you want to watch it on, more than likely it'll be Amazon. And then you click onto it and it's not on Amazon Prime. It's something you have to pay for. Oh, that is the most annoying, annoying yep. thing. It always happens. Yeah. It um, makes me hate Amazon. Yeah, that. it does. That's the one thing I don't like about Amazon Prime. In fact, I, I wouldn't ever sign up to that. I'm not signed up to the video service. I have it part of, I don't know really how I have it, to be honest. I'm not no, signed same. up to I've, yeah, no, I've just got I think Prime, I've got it? Amazon Prime somehow, but I don't know how. I don't pay for it. <laughs> it's, it's so confusing, isn't it? Yeah. That's one thing I, I don't really like about it. But then again, I don't like Netflix because they put second part and third part of a series of a film. But not the first, not the first yeah. one. Like, why not have the complete tr trilogy? Yeah. So there, there is a gaps in these, these, these streaming services at the moment. 
And I, I want to know really what's going to be the next thing for, from streaming. Like realistically, what's going to be the next technology? Because there is going to be something that obviously comes along. I don't know necessarily about technology. I think we're going to see a similar... So for me, I think there's going to be a similar thing happening to the film industry that happened to the games industry. So I'll, I'll bring it quickly. One of the main things on the list that I read out a minute ago with the big brands that crashed is Atari. Atari was really interesting because a a game, E.T., it was E.T., the game on uh, SNES, I think. Um, was no, it wasn't stats because that was Nintendo. Anyway, it was it was on the games console, and that was basically crashed the entire video game market. This one game, um, and it's because they developed it too quickly. They overspent it. I mean, the licensing. This was back in eighties, uh, maybe. Um, Way past my time. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even so. Born. They spent twenty million on licensing ET alone. Like it's a huge Christ. amount of money back then. Then they they had um I think five million copies printed, of which only ten percent actually sold. And at this point, basically the the games industry separated and you had um game developers that were working for Atari go elsewhere. And I think what's going to happen to the film industry is something kind of similar where you're seeing now Netflix doing Netflix originals, Amazon are doing Amazon originals, and it's kind of taken away a little bit from the, the Hollywood blockbusters yeah, where yeah. more more and more people are making films themselves without going down the traditional channels. Yeah. And I think that's probably where it's going to go. So rather than uh, a new way of doing things, we're just going to see more and more films not done through the traditional channels. Yeah. And we're also seeing now, um, I don't know if you noticed that Mulan was the one of the first yeah. films to to be streamed on Disney Plus instead of actually going to the cinemas yep. like it was originally planned. So yep. I wonder if that's going to be a technique and some kind of um, pitch that they'll start or delivery method that they'll start to explore in the yep. future as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a decline in cinemas. Yeah, I, I can't see it. Why would... I can understand that... I, right, there's one thing. Here's a good point. Okay. Going back onto the entrepreneurs to go wrong but, or businesses. but. Yep talking about innovation Odeon Deluxe yeah that is the one reason that I would go to cinema I yeah. don't go to Showcase anymore I don't go to any other brands the only reason I go to Odeon Deluxe is because they changed their business model yeah they had smaller screens more comfortable seating and more luxurious feel that's yep. the only possible reason that someone's going to go to the cinema it's experiential anymore. Yeah. yeah yeah but you need to make sure the experience is uh, amazing and you're getting your money's worth rather than you know paying 15 quid for a ticket and then you pay another five quid for your popcorn and yeah. by the time you, you're done quid, that's like, cheap <laughs> yeah. by, the, by the time you're done you spent you know 60 odd quid for two three of you to go to the cinema that's a huge amount of money yeah and it's just not worth it. So if you again, I, I used to have an Odeon card um, where you paid a, on a monthly subscription, and then you could just go as many times as you want. And I think that sort of business model would be far better for people that enjoy the cinema, or you make it far more experiential in terms of what you just mentioned. Really, really comfy seat, good service. In fact, they used to do showcase. I don't know if they still do um, the kind of director's box experience, which was amazing, where you had um, you went upstairs and you sit, sit in the bar. And you have a waitress or a waiter and they come over and tell you when the adverts are done and then they take you to the seat mm -hmm. and you get food and stuff brought to you. And, you know, you can press a little buzzer on the seat and they'll come and bring you more food and drink. Wow. And like the whole experience is amazing. And honestly, not that much more expensive than just buying a ticket and food. Um, and that feels like really prestigious and really nice. And I think you could probably build a whole um experience around a similar sort of thing for the whole cinema so it's not just you know you go and buy popcorn and sit down you you go um and you go to the bar and then you know you can get a waitress to bring you drinks to your potentially table you could have booths with tables and you can make the whole going to the cinema much more of an experience including food and drink but nice food and drink not shit yeah. and popcorn yeah. and 
uh, hot dog or whatever. Um, I mean, look at the, the 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 outdoor cinemas that are doing really well at the moment because of COVID. Obviously, you can't go to the cinema indoors without you know a huge amount of social distancing and stuff. So you're finding all these pop up um, outdoor cinemas and drive ins and things like that. I think that's going to be a lot more successful as a business model than these large scale. Um, just chucking you in your seat and charging overpriced for, for. I think that's done. Yeah. I think that that style of business is 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 gone out. There's so many people doing them, and they've gone over and they're they're overdone now. That people are looking for them independent, more luxurious, more yeah. personal experiences. No matter what the industry be, you know. Yeah. That, that I think that's 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 overflowing and and spilling to every kind of industry. And that's with the wide range of technology that we're finding today, that allows you to go out and find these and much easier. These experiences are much much more accessible basically yeah. than what they were before and the, you can actually discern between the two ex- two different places what is more you know what you what you'd like to do more on that on that yeah. particular day whereas before without the use of technology and, and social media it's actually you were kind of limited to what, what you could find yeah and people were you know they were just were doing just, what they know yeah exactly yeah and now that I mean, you can look on um, Virgin Experience Days or, or Buy Gift Online or something like that, and you can pick out just a vast different amount of different experiences that you can you can go and do. And I'll come on to my own business at the moment because I think it's kind of relevant to put it in here that um, I run an underwater photography studio as one of my businesses, and that's doing fantastically because we're not marketing it as a photography shoot. We're not marketing it as you know have some headshots of your family done. We're marketing it as an experiential thing. Yeah. So we're not really talking about just the photos that you take away from it. We're talking about the whole experience um, of, of coming in. And because of that, we're seeing a, a huge increase in bookings because people are looking for sort of new and different things to do after being locked inside for the last four or five months. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kind of bring us back on topic a second and, and sort of we've talked about the, the big businesses and why they fail. And mostly it's, it's lack of innovation, to be honest. Um, and sort of talk more around why do, to so many new businesses and entrepreneurs fail or, or what mistakes they make. So I've got, I've got a list of, of common mistakes that entrepreneurs make. Okay. I'm going to read. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might want to type down how many of these. Yeah, I no, do. That, that was what I was going to say. I'm going to read them out <laughs> and we'll see how many, I, I know how many of these I've done um, and we'll see how many <laughs> each other have done. So uh, putting money before passion, uh, spending too much or too little hiring friends, not setting attainable goals, trying to do everything yourself, not understanding the competition, making too small a margin, uh, putting product before people, overselling and under-delivering, not preparing or or not working on the foundations of the business, uh, not ensuring they can fulfill commitments, uh, not being, or sorry, being afraid to take opportunities, uh, expecting fast results, uh, imposter syndrome, short-term thinking, making uh, competition personal, wasting time on the wrong things, not being able to take criticism, not testing assumptions, not evaluating business, not evaluating business performances. I think I've done more than half of those. I would, I would like to say, um, being honest, when I say I've pretty much done every single one of them. I don't, do do you expect, I will explain my reasoning why, because I don't think you can actually run a business without doing one of them. You can't. Before you, when you when you run a business, you've got to make a mistake. You've got to learn yep. to be able to realize what you're doing wrong. And I think that's what comes with a growing business. The people who stay at the bottom and don't do anything, the people who see these things know that they're doing them and don't do anything about it. Yep. The people who succeed and change the, uh, are the people that see what they're doing wrong, then realize that that's an issue and yep. they change it and, and rectify that 100%. problem. So for, so for me, my mantra has always been, 
it's not a mistake unless you don't learn from it. Yeah. So all of these things, all of these things are absolutely fine mistakes to make. It's just you need to realize that they are mistakes. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, we can go through it in uh, a little bit more detail, a couple of them. So one of the main gripes that I've got recently is the not laying the foundations for a business. And I'm going <laughs> to vent a little bit here because I've seen, I think in the last two days, I've seen four different people post something of the same sort of uh, ilk on Facebook saying, oh, I've started this business and it's usually selling bespoke handmade products. So either, you know, soaps or something like this, and they're going, or, or cosmetics or skincare or whatever. And it's all stuff that they've made handmade in-house or bought in in small, tiny, tiny quantities. It's all very bespoke. And they're going, I can't sell. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. I've got a house to pay for. I've got childcare to pay for. Like, I can't sell my product. Help. And I get so frustrated because I'm there like, did you not plan? Like, where, where was your yeah. planning? If if you're asking a Facebook group how to sell, then I think you're you've you've jumped too far ahead. I think surely there should be a there should have been a process, a thought process behind that. See, where you've got a product that some people may have liked before, you realise that your friends like that, or whoever you're giving them to before, selling them to before, and then you realise you need to make more, and you could make a business out, and then you 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 know you slowly slowly selling that. Yeah. How could does that mean that they from what you told me does that mean that they've just made these products and then found oh, I'm going to sell these now? I, like, I think so. Like it seems like they don't necessarily have a business plan because my comment has always been, well, what does your business plan say? Like, can you go back and evaluate why that's wrong? And they've always replied, well, I've not I've not written a business plan. If you don't plan, then you plan to fail. Yep, hundred hundred percent. Like the business plan is one of the most important things you can possibly do. And it's it's just a constantly evolving document. You need to refer back to it and say, okay, what, what have we tried? What has worked? What hasn't worked? And the other thing that I think they've not um, taken into account is being able to live. And it's one of the things that people don't necessarily build into a business plan is, is making sure they've got their own personal survival budget. So if you need to... You know, if you have overheads of, of your running costs of your house, of buying food, uh, childcare, all those sorts of things, you need to make sure that you can pay for them. And that ties into one of the other ones as well, which is um, short-term thinking and expecting fast results. If you can't sell things quickly, to be fair, with new businesses, it's never, you can't immediately start to make money and start pro making profit. Something that's always shocked me or <clears throat> sort of a lesson that I've learned from my own personal experience is that everything in business takes time. Everyone comes to you, they've got this idea, they've got, you know, you want to do something. There's so much time that's actually required in the implementation of certain things, like things that we're doing with, with Bella Skin at the moment. We originally thought, oh, right, let's get this stuff, let's get this done, let's get this designed. It's, it's taken way longer than what we'd expect. And yep. whether that's down to bad planning or down to, to bad things, but I've just found that that's happened in every single business that I, I, I've been, I've seen even when I've not been involved in the management or anything, when I've worked at places, everything just takes a lot longer than you expect because there's unforeseen circumstances that come yeah. up and they, they push things back. It's when you're relying on third parties for anything. Yeah. It's anything that you're not directly in control of yourself. And even when you are directly in control of it yourself, sometimes just things take longer than you expected. Yeah. And if you, I mean, have the desperation of thinking, right, this is my only source of income. I need to pay for, you know, to put a roof over my child's head. How how on earth are you going to have a sane head to, to run a business? You just can't. No, I don't think that you should really go into starting a business unless you've got a, not a financial back, stable background, but you've got to have some kind of backup plan. You've got to be able to live off yeah. your savings for at least a year. 
Yeah. And that's got to be accounted for in your cash flow forecast. In your, in your, in your cash flow is the other one that, that a lot of entrepreneurs don't run decent cash flow. It's the most important aspect of, of starting a business is to make sure that you've got income enough to cover not just the, the business, but your own expenses. So for me, um, it's, it's about taking opportunity of, of the privilege that you have. If you live at home and you don't have to pay, uh, you know, bills or you don't have to pay rent or you pay less rent, then absolutely use that. Don't make the same mistake that uh, Dario made in terms yeah. of deciding to move out in the first year of uh, or of running a business. I've made all not. the mistakes, guys. Yeah, so yeah. literally, I can tell you that from hand on heart, the mistakes, that they're, they're very easy to make and they may seem like they're, they're the right decision at the right time at that particular time. And, and But it just doesn't work out like that. You, you come down and you look six months later down the line and you think, Jesus Christ, I've I've made a really big mistake here. And you've got to find, you've got to have the tenacity to pick yourself back up and and find a way out of that. I at the first end of my first year in business, I was, I literally had nothing. I had made, I'd lost loads of money, yep. made no 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 profit whatsoever. I'd invested my time and my money into my business, so that's the only thing that was going for me. Uh, I'd I'd started to create a reputation, started to get some experience, started to create some trade contacts, so it was worth carrying on. But you've got to focus. You got. You got to be. You've got to know what's coming. You've got to yeah. try and plan as much as possible what is coming in that first year. Because trust me, it's it's horrible. And if you can just get past that first year with a good planning, with good a uh, good business plan and good cash flow, uh, I was terrible. I was terrible. And because I was juggling with so many different things at the same time, you know, I just moved out. I'd uh, had rent. I had an insurance policy for my business that wasn't working for me. I was working out that I was making just enough to even pay the bills at the time. And I expected to be selling loads of vans, selling loads of things, and then things just crop up. So you got to really add a real big contingency plan into that business yep. plan and that cash flow. Because if things don't go your way, which they most likely are going to go that way in the first first year, then you've got to be prepared for it financially. Because I was really stressed in that first year. Yep. And and for me, still today, uh, even in the business right now, as it is, even with all the things I've learned, cash flow is still still an issue because it's it's very difficult nature of our business at, at camper vans is because. The amount of materials and uh, investment required to do that as a business is still very high. You can be talking up to ten, twelve, fifteen thousand pounds per job. And if you've got, if you, if you, if you've grown like we have, we've gone from maybe having one van to maximum two vans in the workshop a time to now having five to six vans at the time. But it's very difficult to be able to get a, a, a large amount of deposit off that customer yep. to be able to support that conversion. So you need to have here. the money in the bank for, for yeah. the overheads on that project alone, which I can imagine as a startup business is hugely yeah. difficult. On a startup business in this industry, it's very difficult. And you've got to be able to, that's why I say when, you, when you've got your, your profits, you may as well say goodbye to them. You may yep. as well put them straight into another account and and just use them to to invest slowly and have it as a slush fund because you've got to be able to have that cap capital behind you yeah. to keep you growing through the growth stages uh, and to invest in marketing as well which is, i think is the the most underappreciated aspect of a business um where you know a lot of startups don't necessarily put in a marketing budget and you just you just have to they you know a lot of people rely on organic marketing which is um, i mean organic marketing is fantastic it's a really really good thing but unless you're utilizing it properly and effectively it's you kind of have to rely on um paid paid marketing to start off it's a very very difficult thing really coming back onto the kind of dealing with uh cash flow in the first year and unforeseen events and things taking longer than uh needed if it wasn't for things outside my control i wouldn't necessarily be sat here so at the moment i'm only sat here because of COVID-19 and having to diversify my businesses yeah and it's actually when things like that happen 
it can massively benefit you because you have to take a step back and kind of reevaluate things. So for, for me, having made or not necessarily my own mistakes, but things that have gone wrong in terms of um, the, the pandemic hitting and, and between my two businesses losing almost a quarter of a million quid, um, it's led to really good opportunities in, in lots of other areas just because at that time it forced me to re reevaluate. Mm. And I think being forced to reevaluate in that way is good because a lot of people don't necessarily do it. They, you know, might just be scraping along and not being, you know, put into that dire need. Survival. Of, yeah, instincts. survival mode. And therefore not having to diversify in the same way that I did. And, and then obviously meeting Dario and, and coming on to some really, really cool projects. Yeah, I think it's funny how what life throws at you and then what can come of it. Uh, loads of situations have to loads of different people that are completely unseen and then something great comes of it, but yeah. also, you know, can also go the other way. So you've got to be prepared in, in every way. And that, that for me is a lesson in terms of what we were speaking about today, you know, the, the mistakes and being prepared, I guess, is, is the main way to be, to, to avoid that issue, yeah. to avoid the problems. And I, I realistically, from the list that you've, you've gone down there, I can honestly say that I, I, I'm, I'm a culprit of all of them, Yeah, but I'm trying as an entrepreneur to recognize them issues. And I think that's the difference between someone who succeeds and who doesn't succeed. Yep. Uh, rectifying them is, is issues is one of my, my main goals right now. Yep. And bringing you in and working with me is, is basically giving me someone, although you may not feel that you're for me, someone who's, who's, how would you say looking over me and making sure I do things right in, in, in a way that, I'm recognizing I needed to someone who's an entrepreneur as well to sh tell me what I'm doing wrong. No, I get that. It's not even necessarily having someone with more experience or anything like that. It's just having a second pair of eyes to look at something. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really helpful in a lot of different areas. It's just, I mean, it comes back into what we discussed previously in mentorship. It's really, really helpful just to have somebody that, oh, do you mind just having a quick look over this or this idea? This is what I'm thinking. You know, what are your thoughts to it? Um, it's it's a really important thing to have and it's a really good thing to have the opportunity to to look at people's businesses from an outside perspective from also a perspective that's not been involved for for too long and therefore not had my vision of it distorted or or anything yeah. like that um fresh mind yeah absolutely right so i'm going to move on to kind of the last bit um of what i've prepared for for this podcast as well so this is going on to now personal lifestyle uh not necessarily mistakes but things that people are doing wrong um, in their own entrepreneurial journey. So again, I'll, I'll just quickly list them and then we'll talk about them in a bit more detail. So um, my list is spending too much time on a project, uh, ignoring your other loves, whether that be your better half or you know your own passions, hobbies, interests, anything like that. Uh, not working on yourself, so not learning and not educating yourself, not looking after your mental health, uh, listening to friends and family and not also not listening to friends and family. Yeah. Well, once again, I'm a corporate of all of them. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, I don't think there's a single one of these that I've not done. Yeah. Uh, 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 it's a funny time because today is ironically the 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 day that I've started my personal kind oh, of sorry, fitness we journey. We should have sort of started with this, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know, I guess it's it's just we we've come on we come on yeah. to it now, so let's let's tackle it. And it, like I said, it's a good day because today is the very first day. I've I've just started a new fitness journey with my friend Lewis Fraser. Uh, he's a regional boxing champion and a really long time uh, friend of mine. We've grown up together, and he really has been in the fitness kind of lifestyle for quite a while now, and. 
I've never had that. That's one thing I've never been able to actually attain. And for me, what was always difficult was the food and the kind of like the actual meal planning and the, the, the kind of the mentality you've got to have to actually get to that because you can go to the gym, you can go to the gym every day, but if you don't eat properly, then there's no point even actually doing it. And for me, that was always difficult because I have such a hectic lifestyle. Anyone who spends a bit of time around me knows how, how I'm here, there, everywhere all the time and trying to fit that into my working life along with the fitness regime and, and meal plans. I've always found that the one thing that I could never attain. I'm exactly the same. It's so difficult. Yeah. And I really hold my hands up to anyone who who has managed it. But I think doing that alongside running a business as well, that's, for me, has been impossible so far. Yeah. But what I'm really trying to do is is turn my life around in that way. I've recognized, like we said, going on to that, I've recognized my issues. I've recognized over the past three years, I've given my whole life to my business in the fact that I've neglected a lot of issues in my life. And owning up to that as part of me is, is trying to grow as a person. So... I realize I'm not, I've neglected my fitness. I've neglected my body. I've neglected my health. I've neglected some of my, you know, closer friends and, and also loved ones as well, because I've been working all the time nonstop. Yep. And that's an issue that has been brought up and I, I'm trying to address that now. So where for me personally, here's what I'm planning out. You know, I've got a routine, so I'm starting to change my out working hours. I always went out of my way to basically accommodate customer requests. And that is great because it's me, meant that I've, gained myself a brilliant reputation yep. but i feel right now my business so the, the clients or certain people not certain people would just get taken advantage of and never get shown any gratitude in return for the amount of hard work i've actually put in in the past three years to be able to supply that you know going in every night working late every night to make sure customers make sure everything is, is on time basically even when it's been out of my hands to to not be able to deliver that on time or, you know, working Saturdays and Sundays to do, to do drop offs, et cetera. So it's always been a difficult part and I've just recognized that now. So I'm trying to, you know, trying to reckon, I'm trying to re reconcile the issues that I've, I've come across. Absolutely. I mean, one of the main problems I think entrepreneurs find is it's not like, well, you know, when you're running your own business, it's not like a nine to five job where you can go home and, and, you know, you can definitely go back to work the next day and continue to earn money well, you have to fight for the money that you're earning so if your number one priority is making sure that you've got a constant income you kind of put everything into that and all of your time and energy goes into that because if you don't quite often then you'll miss out on earning money yeah. but i suppose it's, it's when you get to a point where um there's enough money coming in that you can kind of take a step back a little bit but i think for, for me it's realizing that that's one of the things that you need to do from the start it's it's making sure that you plan your time as best as you possibly can so um i i'm a firm believer in, in trying to get to a point where i'm doing you know a four day week and i'm only working x number of hours per day but just planning every single minute that i work of the day to make sure that my time is most as effective as it can possibly be so that i can spend time then on my own personal life i'm in a really really good position at the moment where um i run a business with my partner and that's fantastic because we work with each other. It's not like I'm spending all day at the office and then coming back and she's resentful that I'm not there. Um, but that throws a whole sort of new um, problems into the mix when, you know, we have fallout fallouts about our work stuff. I mean, we're, we're really good at the moment that we can kind of differentiate um, work and personal. Both of us are hugely passionate about what it is that we do and we can have some really fierce arguments about the business. But then as soon as it swaps back to 
our personal lives and you know our, our everyday conversations it can the, the arguments kind of stop and we both appreciate that we're not arguing with each other about our personal stuff it's about the business which is nice because i've been in previous relationships where i've not been a business partner with my my loved one and and that has led to you know resentment and all sorts of other things what uh, what if you don't mind me asking i don't know don't have to answer this too no, no, personal for but for the sake of the podcast what what are the main arguments that you've had with your love your closer half in in the business business in a, respect in a, or arguing about so what can so, they what can people expect if they were to do that what were the things that they've you've come across and you've argued about and find differences on um difference of opinions um so if you want to take a project in in one way and we've had plenty of arguments about how how we take it in a certain direction and also over you know the different products and services that we offer how we offer them but we're we're kind of lucky that we don't cross over each other's um abilities too much um i think most of the arguments that have arisen have kind of been from um where we have trod on each other's toes so either i've got too involved with the kind of show creation or uh, she's got too involved with what I do. And that's kind of when uh, it's a difficult one to, to really answer because it's not like I don't appreciate input or she doesn't appreciate input. I think it's when we feel like we've not been listened to <laughs> that yeah. the arguments uh, arise or when they feel like I've not validated or she's not validated my input with a reasonable response, if that makes sense. But it's it's not again it's not the sort of argument that i wouldn't have necessarily had anyway with say collaborator, collaborator yeah. or, or partner in another business or employees with another business or managers in another business it's exactly the same thing like i've seen some really fierce arguments in businesses um i've seen one where one of the directors almost ended up going to the car park with one of the other directors <laughs> to, to have a fist fight over something jesus yeah like it's 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 all part of the fun isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i've always um i've always feared starting businesses with other people mm. because of that exact problem. Yeah. I feel like I'm not that it's a control issue. It's that I feel like if I'm, if I, I put in, try to put in as much effort as possible and I'm experiencing this right now with another project, but I feel like if that, if them team members, even though they're in the business, aren't putting in that same effort, do you feel that like that's a sticking point straight away? I, yes. I, I, I find it's quite, that's, quite that's what drove me to, to sell one of my previous businesses is that exact same situation where I felt like I was putting in far more effort than other people in the business and therefore ended up selling it back to them and kind of taking a step away. And it's a really difficult one. And I think it's part of the same thing that you have to map out from the start is exactly what everyone's roles and responsibilities are, what they're expected to put into the business, whether it's financial or time. And you need to make sure that they hold, hold up their end of the bargain, but also making sure that, I mean, it's outlined in black and white from the beginning, and then you don't really have a position to argue with. I think one of my, my biggest ever mistakes that I've ever done is going to a, par a partnership with someone on a 50-50 basis. Because if you have an argument with them and it's not resolved, you are literally at a stalemate. You cannot do anything. And so from the start, if you are in a position where, you know, in terms of shareholding, it's even, you know, 51-49, and one of the partners, you know if you have a clash, that they have the the final say. And because you kind of know that in the back of your head, um, it's a much easier position to then come from when you're discussing business with them basically 
Because okay. it, it, it's a final sticking point to any argument. And the, I mean, the profits don't necessarily have to be distributed in, in that way. They can be distributed equally, but it's just the, the final shareholding for the business. So when you have a vote, I mean, this is why I always prefer to start businesses if it's going to be with multiple people, with three people or more, so that you can actually have votes on decisions. But again, it's making sure that no one's territory crosses or overlaps with anyone else's. Okay. So a few interesting points that we've covered today. and. Overall, I think we've had a we've had a great talk about the issues that uh, and the wrong things that entrepreneurs do. What would you say is the number one wrong thing to close it all off after all the things that we spoke about and and apart from the and obviously the innovation and that as a sole entrepreneur, a young a young young businessman like myself or someone who's looking to start their own business right now, how could you say what what would you say the number one problem is? Number one problem. Uh, spending too much money to start off with. Um, I think this is something we've both been guilty yeah, of in our different so, businesses. So bad. Um, in, in our, I think the, the the podcast we recorded previously is the tester. It's something that I covered with my marketing agency where uh, within the first year we, we grew hugely, but we also made the, the mistake of renting uh, an office that was far too expensive and, and beyond our needs. I mean, we wanted to seem like uh, the biggest fish in the pond and, and wanted, you know, our, our clients to come down and see how bored we were by having this massive penthouse office with floor to ceiling glass. Uh, but then all the clients that we saw never wanted to come in anyway. So I think it, it was just completely unnecessary. And I think it's the overspending at the start and draining your resources that could either be, you know, held back for when times are hard and when you're, you know, if, if clients drop out or if, you know, you got a, a slow month and you need the money or reinvest into things that are going to make you more money like marketing rather than a fancy office. Did you ever play Age of Empires? Yes. It's a bit like the starting civilization, starting phrase phase. It's about where you best put your your, your resources at the time. And so, so when we do this, the, the business course eventually, are we going to have the first part of it? Is you have to complete Age of Empires? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's a fantastic game. So it will teach you a lot. So Three if you can play that game, then you're certainly intelligent enough to start a business uh, and potentially Rollercoaster Tycoon as well. Oh my god, <laughs> I can't believe you just said that game. That game, I used to spam that game back in the day. Oh my god, it's amazing. On the first computer that I had, I was literally like an absolute tycoon on that did it crash the game when you got yeah the oh yeah so many times literally so many times and i guess that uh talk about just a quick point before we finish games have taught me so much yeah it's weird how much i've learned from games and and ec- economies inside games that i've played that have taught me so much about real life it's, it's the same concept but on a much smaller more simplistic scale that kids can can understand yeah I've I've always had a great time with games and if you do get the chance, guys, go make sure you check out Age of Empires because it's oh, a great Are we going to get into World of Warcraft? <laughs> oh God, don't. Did you play that as well? No. <laughs> did you not? No, I, I managed to avoid uh, World of Warcraft and League of Legends. I never played either of them. I was much more, more of a, a first person shooter person. <laughs> World of Warcraft has like one of the most insane economies on that game in, in, in any online game. But it's also one of the highest grossing games of all time. It's made yeah. over a billion dollars. And I, I can understand why. Yeah. It's one of the most highly addictive games I've 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 ever played. I've played it before, and trust me, it's addictive. Yeah. And I can see why it's one of the most highest gross, the highest grossing games of all time because it's just so wildly in depth. So anyway, we've gone completely off track there at the end. <laughs> games. <laughs> we need to do it at least once. <laughs> yeah. So we well, hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast today. I personally had a great time. How about you, Kai? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really helpful for me, to be fair, to be looking back over all these things because there, there's some of these things that I'm doing even now yeah. and just 
talking about it has made me realize, oh crap, I need to, to sort that out before before I go too much. Yeah, I've literally there. listened to that thing. And, you know, what have I, I've got so much stuff to sort out because I'm literally a corporate of all of them. Yeah. Corporate of all of them. So it's been good for me as well to to recognize the issues. And I think next time we'll, what we'll do in the next episode is we're going to talk about maybe personal structures and uh, something I'd like to go through is really talk about my my regime and my routines that I'm trying to get into now and want to know what you've been through and maybe what you'll want to implement at, at some day. point i'd quite like to do a call in as well and get people to to give us a ring whilst we're yeah. doing it that'd be yeah. really cool yeah so if you guys ever want to message us i'll do a call in and do some kind of yeah, like join we'll, us we'll, we'll schedule it if you get people to to drop us a message on facebook or, or comment on on youtube or through the website of something that they want to talk about and we'll literally during the podcast we'll get them to give us a ring and we'll just have a chat with them yeah that's a great idea Right, so 